everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. The Seven City Tour continues. And uh, this morning, just by way of uh, introduction, I just want to go back. We're in our sixth city. We're in Philadelphia this morning, not Pennsylvania. We're in Philadelphia, ancient Greece. But just in case you've been hit and miss, you know, summer has a way of taking us all over the place. Uh, This is where we've been uh, since June. Ephesus, uh, a large and active, hard-working church. Everything seemed really well. They were doing things really well, teaching, training, uh, fighting off bad doctrines and those who are trying to take down the church, but, but they'd lost their, their, their first love for God. In Smyrna, they, they faced all kinds of pressures and, and poverty and put-downs from uh, the, the surrounding community there, but they faithfully endured, and they were promised a, a victor's crown. So I kind of like to say they, they were crushed, but ultimately crowned, okay? And then Pergamum was a city where literally, uh, historically, it's said that Satan had an altar there. So there was probably a little more intense darkness than in some of the other cities. Uh, Satan's seat was there, and the sad thing was the church had tolerated the presence instead of fighting it, and so the Lord had a a strong word because there was compromise in their midst. In Thyatira, uh, that's where corruption had crept in because of a a self-proclaimed prophetess who the Lord would call a Jezebel spirit, or like a Jezebel, and had taught them uh, to deny what the truth was. And so there was correction there. And then last week we looked at Sardis, and it it really looked good on the outside. In fact, their reputation supposedly was good, but on the inside they were dying. And the Lord gave some loving instruction and direction to them. And that brings us again this week to uh, the the city of, of, of Philadelphia. You can see that... if you leave and take a boat from Patmos, where these letters are coming from, to Ephesus, and, and they just kind of go clockwise, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and now here we are, just about, uh, probably about 28 miles southeast of Sardis, okay? And it was the youngest of the seven cities. Many of these cities were very ancient, but this one had a birth date that is estimated around 189 BC, about 189, 190 years before Jesus entered history. Uh, via the, you know, via, via Bethlehem, okay, uh, uh, there's this Pergamum king by the name of, um, uh, see if I have his name right, it was uh, Eumenus, I think is what it was, and uh, he established this city, and he, he gave it its name in honor of his brother who he just really loved, and that's where we come up with Philadelphia, which literally means brotherly love, okay, so when you go to Philadelphia, PA, that's what it means. It's a city of brotherly love. And uh, there's a volcanic, a volcanic ridge along one side of the city. And then on the other side was this beautiful, very lush plain. In fact, they had some of the best grapes in the world grown there. Uh, uh, hence, they had a temple to the, to the god Dionysus, who is like the, the, the god of grapes and harvest and fertility. And so you had, of course, in all these places, you had Pagan, uh, uh, pagan temples and such, but this was this is for sure one of them. And, and many of the people, interestingly, in this city of Philadelphia lived outside the city walls. And here's the reason. Um, it was on a fault line. And probably about 50 years or so before the writing of, this, of these letters, and this letter to, to Philadelphia, there was a massive earthquake which shook and destroyed so much of the, the city up there on the hill. And so they lived outside the walls because of the fear of, of what would happen uh, in, the, in the future because, I mean, the walls came down and, and 
and, and so much destruction took place there. So they were still rebuilding it probably at the time of, of this writing. Now Rome has taken over. Greece has, has passed it on to the Romans, and now the Romans are, are using this city as a kind of an outpost. In fact, when I say outpost, it's literally a city with, a, with, a, with its missional and purpose, okay? It's, it, it, it was established about a little less than 200 years before Jesus, as I said, but it was established to kind of spread the Greek culture and the the, the Greek narrative into that region of the world, into Lydia, which was that area and that, that, that region. And uh, 200 years later, after its founding, literally the Greek language was the native tongue of that area. So it worked. They wanted to come and they wanted to, uh, and so it's kind of an outpost. It's kind of a, a mission station. Just keep that in mind, okay? Let's look at this scripture. The, uh, the, the beginning here is we see the Lord giving uh, it's his greeting. He says to the angel of the church at, at Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Let me just pray. Lord, I just ask your blessing on the remainder of our time and that you'd speak to us, Lord, maybe collectively, maybe individually through your word this morning. We thank you for your word that brings life. Jesus, we thank you that you are the word and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to magnify word in our presence today in Jesus' name. This is a good picture of, of the Lord, okay? When you look at this, this opening statement here, this opening uh, phrase or, or sentence, uh, the words of him who is holy and true and holds the keys or the key which he uses. Now, that refers to if you were to look in your Old Testament, that refers to Isaiah chapter 22, okay? Isaiah chapter 22, uh, Isaiah is rebuking a man named Shebna or Shebna, and he is the chief steward of Jerusalem who sees himself, he's kind of haughty, rides around in a fancy chariot, you know, and uh, he sees himself as indispensable. And, and Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years 700, almost 800 years prior to this that we're looking at this morning, he gives a harsh word to Shebna, and he says, essentially, uh, you've paraded through the streets in your mighty chariot with your high attitude, but you've been unfaithful, okay? You can read this in Isaiah 22, maybe today, later on tonight, but the result of his unfaithful service is that he was going to be replaced by a man named Eliakim, Eliakim, okay? Now, here's what's interesting and the significance of the chief steward, Eliakim now is going to take this role, and the chief steward in Jerusalem, he, he, had, he had, I'll show you what he had. Are you ready? Just a second. I've got, I've got my, my, my mic pack here in my front pocket, but he had one of these right here. It's a little worn. It's a master key, and not just a master key to Ridgeway Church. There's a few of us that have that because we Got to get all over the place, right? And I, somebody gave me one of these. Maybe I gave myself one of these. I don't know when the locksmith was here. We had a locksmith here this past week changing a door and creating keys, but we had to have him do it to fit, first and foremost, the master key to this building. This opens every door in this building. And this is what this steward had in his possession, a master key, which would open all the doors, literally could go into the, palace of the king, and it was a pretty lofty role, pretty lofty position. And you see Jesus using this example here as he writes to the church at Philadelphia, and this, this picture of, of this key and this, op, this potential of opening doors, which we'll see here in a second, okay? In fact, uh, uh, the church has, has uh, 
let's see if I, if I look at this, uh, get this imagery right here, okay. Uh, the key of David. And, uh, and I think what's interesting is the, the church has always been about a, a, a mission, okay? Jesus has authority to open and close doors. So, I mean, so the, the, the body of Christ or this experiment of kingdom on earth, we're all a part of a nation. That's a big conversation these days. Who's in, who's out, no matter where you go in the world. But we are a part of a different kingdom as followers of Jesus Christ. And ever since its birth, the second chapter of Acts and the day of Pentecost, it's always been about expanding and growing Christ's kingdom, God's kingdom on earth. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And what we're seeing here is Jesus has the key of David. He has the authority to open these doors and close these doors. And uh, uh, now I'd ask, what, 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 can, what can constitute a closed door in, in, in Christ's kingdom? I'd say at least two things. Sometimes it's God's timing. It's not his time for a door to be open as we think of the, the kingdom, as we think of Christ's testimony of, of, uh, of the message of the gospel being enlarged in our world around us. Sometimes it's, it's a timing issue and God's waiting to give divine door openings. And sometimes there's the adverse of God or Christ and that's the, the spirit of darkness. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote about spiritual barriers when he wrote to the Ephesians. How'd that, how'd that come? Let me think here. Uh, that's, just, that's just Isaiah there, and you can see it, it working its way out and, and, and how that's literally the location there where Isaiah is talking about uh, Eliakim and, and, and being clothed and having, you see there, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open, okay? I, believe it or not, I lost my place in my notes. I'm getting so carried away with my master key this morning. Forgive me, okay? Uh, but this is that imagery that Christ is giving us here. It's, it's he holds the key of David, okay? And so there you see it. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open, all right? And that's where, so when, when it may be a divine closure and a divine opening, but we always know that Jesus Christ holds the keys and he can make a way where there seems to be no way. In fact, here's what Paul says in his sixth chapter, his letter to the Ephesians, which I believe is a circular letter and I don't believe it. A lot of scholars believe it wasn't just to the church at Ephesus, but it literally was being passed around this part of the world, uh, probably at this time. And they're reading this and here's what Paul teaches us about the the, the spiritual obstructions that come in, in play in, in the advancement of the kingdom of God. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and rulers, rulers against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. You see that? So there are blockages that occur, but Christ has the key, and he has the power to push back the blockages, to push back the darkness, to make a way for the kingdom of God to go forward, okay? He opens doors and he shuts doors. And I want you to see that today. And that's what was being written there. And I believe it's applicable to where we're at today, individually and, and corporately as we gather and we, we, we worship together and we're a part of a local church or local churches wherever we're connected. Some are visiting here today. Many of us belong to this community of faith, this congregation. Um, so that's the Christ that we see and the picture of Jesus that we see being um, revealed to the church at Philadelphia. And let's look at the condition of the church. It, looks, it appears that Philadelphia, the church, the Philadelphian church was, 
was a blessed church. Um, now, at first, it doesn't look that way because the first thing we see is they're, they're weak. Look at this. I know your deeds, the Lord says. I have placed before you an open door. Okay, that's a blessing. When Jesus is saying, I'm kicking down the doors, whether it's man-made, whether it's holding back you know, from heaven or, or, or the, the works of darkness trying to thwart you, I'm opening the doors and I know that you have little strength. What an interesting phrase, little strength. Little weakness, weakness and meekness in the kingdom of God is strength, okay? I want you to hear that. You know that, many of you. Some of you don't. Uh, uh, the kingdom of God is upside down. You know, in the, in the kingdom of our, of our, of our world, in, in the popular culture today, strength is being really buff. It's being really wealthy. It's being, having a position of power. And in Christ's kingdom, in this kingdom that we're a part of, if you've committed or submitted or surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, it's upside down. And it's the weakness that brings forth strength and blessing, and it brings forth honor and God's recognition and the Lord's opening of doors. And that's the condition of the church. Small. It's probably small in its wealth. It was probably and most likely small in its number. I heard one, I heard one, I read one uh, scholar on this, and he said, it's possible that the Jewish Synagogue and the Jewish communion, a community, I should say, and the population there at Philadelphia was in the thousands. It could have been a very large, they had a synagogue, they had buildings and such, and the church probably would have started meeting in the synagogues, and as you see, as we'll see, they were probably kicked out, and uh, uh, the, the Jewish leaders, the synagogue, were probably oppressing them and opposing them, and we'll see that come forth here in this next verse or two, but it, the thing is, is they're probably small in number. Some have estimated maybe two, three, four dozen, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 Christians maybe is who this letter is being written to. We don't know for sure, but we know it wasn't the strength of Ephesus, which uh, seemed to be a, a much larger community of believers. Uh, again, we don't have the numbers or the roll call for these churches, but it's likely that this is a, a, small, a small community of believers. But in their weakness, they relied on God. And they knew, they knew whose work it was, and they didn't try to usurp that. And I like it. Weakness, have you ever been to that place in your, in, your, in your walk where you've tried it your way, you've kind of banged your head against the wall? What's the lyric from Rascal Flatts tune? You, you, you cracked a brick when you hit the wall. Uh, imagine a race car driver, and it's like you just you come to your end, and, and we've tried it our way, and then we say, Lord, I messed up. I really need you to intervene in, in my situation. Sometimes we're not even trying to do it our way when we, when we feel so, so weak and so vulnerable. Maybe it's a, a relationship, unexpected breakdown or, or, or a health concern. And it's like, I didn't invite this. I don't know how this happened to me. But Lord, I'm just so dependent on you. And, and what's really interesting about the kingdom of God it's in that place where we begin to experience strength, but it's not our own strength, it's his strength. And they were dependent on God. Uh, Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he, he goes in this long, this long explanation and picture of how much, he doesn't quite use his name, but it really looks like he's, he's using, I know somebody, but he, it's believed he's speaking of himself I'm bringing this in context. I want you to see what he thought about weakness, okay? 
He's talking about being caught up in the third heaven and experiencing and hearing things that nobody had heard before, literally kind of in the face of Jesus Christ, all right? And he's saying all this, but then he's saying, you know, I could boast about this because I know that person who that's, who's experienced this, and he's going on and on. And then he, he, he kind of concludes the thought by saying, and yet I have this thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn is. We, everybody presumes that you know, maybe it was a sickness. Maybe, maybe he was depressed. Uh, maybe he had a reoccurring hangnail or turf toe. Or, or we just don't know. And, you know, it depends on what stream you're in. Everybody's trying to figure out. We don't know what the thorn in Paul's flesh is, but we do know this. Three times he begged God to take this thorn away. And you can't tell me Paul didn't have enough faith and that's why he wasn't healed. For some reason, this thorn wouldn't go. This was a man of great faith and he is a man being used mightily by God. But look at what he says after, he says, I cried out to God to get rid of this thorn. And he goes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness. Is that world? Is that what the culture says? That doesn't sound, does it? I mean, can you imagine saying this at school or in the job place? And are you kidding me? It's, it's like the more par, it's, a, you know, it's, it's survival of the fittest. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness. In insults, in hardships, and boy, did he have them in persecutions, in difficulties. Look at this. For when I am weak, then I'm made strong. This church at Philadelphia understood what this was about. Maybe you didn't have a choice. There may be small in numbers. They're being persecuted. Um, they're being pressed and pushed back. Uh, they, they, they were having insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties thrown at them. And yet in their weakness, the Lord is saying, you're tapping into my strength. Okay, so that's, that's, that's just a, a beautiful picture, I believe, of what, of what, the, uh, of what this church is experiencing. And then uh, another point that we see here is that of the word. Here, here's another uh, area of, of recognition. Um, Revelation 3.8 says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed them and I know that you have little strength. And then this next phrase, yet you have kept my word. They kept God's word which meant that they knew God's word. Now, what was their word? They didn't have this word. We get it all leather-bound. We have you know, 66 books here. and uh, Bible literally means a collection of books. And, and, uh, but they were drawing from what they probably didn't have. They may have had some manuscripts. And think of it, this is the end of the first century. So all four witnesses of the Gospels probably were completed. John would have probably just completed his Gospel of John. And then all the Pauline letters and and, and Peter's letters, and, and so they probably had a lot to give them direction and try to unpack this beautiful story that we talked about all last year of, of God of creation, how he did it, how long it took, we don't know exactly, maybe, but he did it, he's the God of creation, and he called a people for the purpose of blessing the nations. And now the nations were being blessed through this little infant-sized church in Philadelphia, and they were getting the picture, and they were keeping his word, and they were meditating on it, probably all that they had, and they were probably enjoying Old Testament scriptures. I said, Pauline circular letters. Maybe it was oral tradition being passed down. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm reminded of the Psalms. And I, I imagine they had access to the Psalms, especially if there was a synagogue in their city, right? And I'm reminded specifically of Psalm 119. 
Have you ever read that thing? Have you ever read it in one sitting? It takes three days to read it. It's 160, 70 verses, right? You're not, if you're gonna do it in your quiet time and meditate, good luck. You'll need a week of quiet times, okay? Here, but I picked out just some word scriptures, and this isn't all of them from Psalm 119, okay? Here you are. Uh, uh, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to the word, verse nine. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, verse 11. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your Word, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. You're following along. Just read the yellow when I point to you. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. Your word. Lord is eternal, and it stands firm in the heavens. Whew. There's more. How sweet are your to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your Word. is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. The unfolding of your Word. gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. Isn't that beautiful? So they would have, yeah. So now Word, you know, it, you know, that's how we greet each other, those of us who are really cool and hip. We're just going to walk, yo, Word. Word up. What's the word? Okay, so now we know what the word is. It's God's word, and it's rich, and it's full. And you know what? When we depend on it, it brings life to us. And that's what this early church was into. Somehow, they were, Jesus said, they were keeping my word. All right? So, and then uh, a final thing I think we see here is that there was no, there was no wavering. Look at that. Uh, you've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. They were steadfast. There was, you know, they weren't like that, that guy in James who was being kicked around by every wave and wind of doctrine. They were steadfast. And this is a church who, no matter what they were facing, they refused to give up on their faith and they were faithful to the end. So weak, word-filled, waver-free, these are the reasons given for an open door. If you took notes on that, I think this is, uh, you know, oh, Pastor Brian's giving us a formula. If we plug it in, we'll be rich and famous. No, I'm just telling you, if you want to honor the Lord, I think we can practice this in our lives. You know, be dependent on him. Be filled with his word. Uh, and of course, uh, be waver-free, be established in him. We'll maybe unpack that just a little more as we conclude here in a minute. But in the Philadelphia uh, church, the believers, the believers were neither large in number uh, or powerful or influential, but in Christ's eyes, they were really, really significant. That's all that matters, isn't it? Church of Ridgeway, the congregation of, of Ridgeway here in this location of our city. To be found significant in the eyes of our Lord, that's, that's what matters the most. And if we're lacking open doors in our lives or you know, individually or maybe collectively, maybe it's time we just visit this, this practical formula of full dependence on him focusing on his word and, and applying it. And I, I would even say, well, I'll say it later as I conclude, all right? I just want to look at these promises, just a couple promises that we see as, as this letter is, is, is continues. Uh, uh, the first is that Jesus said, I'm going to humble your enemies because of, of your faithfulness to me in this area. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. 
Okay, pause for a second. Jesus is not being anti-Semitic. Jesus is Semitic. His biological uh, 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 genetic code is Semitic, okay? What's, and, and, and I mean, there have been probably crazy people in history that gave this for a reason to wipe out a community or a village of, of Jewish people. That's not what the Lord's saying. What, what, what's being borne out here is this bigger picture that's been made, made real and has been revealed through Jesus Christ, that uh, it's no longer a, a bloodline, but that the new Israel comes through Jesus Christ. And, and so that, that literally through Christ and through uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, you no longer have to be the circumcised by that. Those who belong to the covenant, those who were biological Jews who had been converted to Judaism. Now you need to convert uh, to the, the Lord Jesus Christ as your master and as your savior. And these Jews who had heard probably by now the, who Jesus was, and that's why there was a church in that city, had denied it. And they were likely persecuting because they had the, the, you know, the, they had the free pass in these Roman cities to be and to worship freely, but Christianity at this point was probably considered a cult, and so a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the uh, the tribulation and the hardships and the persecution came through the synagogues at that time. So the Lord has a strong word. Of course, they're Jewish, but they they missed the big picture, and the big picture was the consummation, the fulfillment of God's promise through Abraham, the person of Jesus Christ, and His cross and His work for all of humanity, and so that's that strong word there. And the promise, looking at that, I'm interesting, is that there would be a humbling of the enemies. I don't know if they lived to see it. They probably didn't, but that's the promise for all of us. Anybody who, for the right reason, hear me, for the right reason rejects you because of your faith in Christ, don't let it be your political stand. Don't let it be the team you root for on Sunday. Not that that would ever. Oh, there are some Chicago fans that might reject me. <laughs> No, 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 Vikings fans. Chicago fans are wonderful, right, Kathy? All right, so, uh, but, it, but it might be something the way, you know, just make sure if there's persecution in your life, it's for a genuine reflection of Jesus Christ that you're offering up, all right? That's just a, think about that. Not what you say on Facebook defending your, polit, your, your political persuasion or your, your, your favorite personality or whatever. And so, there will be that in the modern church. All over the world, there are those who are persecuted, but I think it's interesting here, the promise that the enemies will one day be humbled, and I think that's amazing. I will make them come and fall down at your feet. There'll be a day when every knee will bow and every knee will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We see that in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi in chapter two. And this is probably what the Lord is saying through John in this letter, that there's gonna come a time when the whole world will see. And, uh, and that's the hope that we have. Meanwhile, we just reflect pure Jesus. And the second thing here is he promised, look there, he promised to, uh, to, to, to keep them from these great trials. Since you have kept, uh, kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world uh, to test those who live on the earth. So whether that's a future thing or whether there's something really big, probably historically, potentially historically happening in, 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 in their future, our past, we're not sure, but we do know that tribulations have happened since the day Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And they will continue depending on where we live in the world. And there may be a bigger tribulation as, as some render the scriptures or whatever. But the point is that uh, uh, the Lord 
can keep us amidst those difficult times, okay? Uh, you say, well, Pastor Brian, you're saying that we're not going to have to be in the big tribulation and the great tribulation and all this, and now we're getting into eschatology or eschatology, however you want to say it, end-time teachings, and it's like, all I know is there are people today giving their life for Jesus Christ, okay? I met with a young man who I know his, I knew his grandfather. He helped establish this church. He went to Papua New Guinea, and he his grandfather, and started a mission work there. And now, you know, 60 years later, here's his grandson wanting to go into full-time missions. And he and his wife and their four-year-old, two-year-old, and newborn baby did a, a DTS in Kona and went and spent about three or four months in northern Iraq amongst the, amongst the, hold on a second. You got to hear this. I can't pronounce it by memory. I can't bring it up. The Yazidi people, are you familiar with them? Remember a few years ago when ISIS was going on a rampage and 200,000 people were trapped on a mountaintop and we were dropping, President Obama was dropping aid and they, they found an escape. So this is the people, now fast forward five, six, seven years or whatever, this is the people that this young couple went to minister in northern Iraq amongst the Kurds in these villages and, and, um, and, and it's just amazing the opportunity to, to show the love of Jesus Christ in a pronounced way. But you talk about it wasn't just the Yazidis on that mountaintop. There were Christians also who were being slaughtered as ISIS wanted to purify uh, for, for, for their belief and their sect of Islam, uh, purify either you convert or you get killed. And there were Christians who were going through great trial as well as this Yazidi people who are a little flavor of, uh, uh, of the Hebrew God and Christianity, uh, Judaism, maybe a little Islam and a blend of some others. But all kinds of people under persecution Persecution is happening all over the world. Just Google Operation Mobilization. Google Voice of the Martyrs. Google Voice. I have so many missions groups in my mind, and my mind is getting older. But Voice of the Martyrs will show you all these groups throughout the world that are experiencing crisis and they're experiencing great trials, but he promised to keep them. And I love this right here, the strength and the security. Look at that. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will, will, uh, will he leave it. Now, again, Philadelphia, volcanic, but also the, the seismic activity, the, the earthquake, the fault line or whatever. Guess what? When, when everything came down, the one things that would be standing were the pillars. The pillars, you can still see this today in these ancient ruins. The pillars are still standing. Earthquakes have happened in the last 3,000 years or 4,000, and these great temples were built in those periods of time. A lot of them are just rubble, but the pillars are standing. And Jesus is saying here, you know what? You're going to have a strength and you're going to have a, a security as, as, as strong as the ancient pillar. When that earthquake hit here 50, they would have understood that. The pillars were still standing, even though the walls were cracked and the roofs had caved in in some cases. And Jesus is saying, you're going to be strong like a pillar. Uh, because of your faithfulness, and never again will you have to leave it. Literally, the Philadelphians had fled the city and were encamped away from the city because of their fear of earthquakes and tremors. Much of the population was outside that, that city. And Jesus is saying, if you labor for me, you'll reach a place where you will not have to ever leave again. This, it's just speaking of stability. It's speaking, it's speaking of safety. It's, it's speaking of security and, and strength, I believe.
And this final point here is God's promises. Christ is promising a new name, uh, literally a, a new name uh, which represents uh, the character of God himself. I invite the worship team to come. Look at this. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. We see this in 21 and 22 of, of Revelation, that picture of the consummation of heaven and earth, the new heaven, and I will also write on him my new name. The name of God shows uh, that, that we will be like him. We're in the image of God. We'll be godly. The name of the city of God, a, a new name. Names in the Bible always symbolize something, and Jesus is saying, I'm gonna write my name on you uh, to this church, and I believe he will do it to all of us who faithfully hold on, overcoming. I heard someone say once, it's not how many times you fall down, it's how many times you get up and at the finish line that you cross the finish line. That's the goal as followers of Jesus Christ for all of us, whether we have 70 years to live or 30 years to live or 10 years to live, we're gonna finish and we're gonna overcome to the end, glorifying Christ, reflecting Jesus wherever he places us in our world. A new name. Names, uh, think of what Jesus was born in Bethlehem and the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and he said, uh, call his name Jesus. Remember this? It's not even Christmas, here it comes. Because he will save his people from their sins. Names are important. Jesus, uh, Old Testament, would have been, the Hebrew would have been Yeshua, Joshua, the deliverer. Yeshua, Hamashiach, I believe, is, the, is that, that Greek for, for Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the, the Messiah. Jesus, the one, the sent one. And, and, uh, and that's the promise that we have, that, that uh, the new name is, is, is coming, and Jesus is the one that's, that's leading us in that. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. So, um, I invite you to stand this morning. I just want to, I just want to uh, pray as we conclude here. But I don't want you to worry about making a name for yourself, okay? I know this was always a struggle when I was a young, you know, as in my teenage years. And even as you get into adulthood, you're trying to get a reputation that's positive. And you want people to look at you and say, boy, aren't they good? Aren't they talented? Aren't they, in some cases, ladies, aren't they beautiful? We try to, that's nothing wrong with making yourself look beautiful or trying to, you know, whatever goes on there. But that's not our, our identity is not in what people say or trying to establish a, a name around, a name for ourselves. Um, gifted, funny, strong, smart, all these things. We want that reputation, we want that name. And I think what, I think what I, my takeaway this morning is that, that God has a name that he wants to give us as we as we in weakness and humility establish ourselves upon the word and I capitalize that I want you to capitalize this morning yes yes the word we'll call that small casing okay but the word is Jesus Christ establishing ourselves upon his life and his teachings and his word God's word in weakness and in humility establishing yourself, myself, upon the word, upon Jesus Christ. And then guess what? He, let him give us a nickname. Let him give us his name. The name of God. The name of a new city. Wouldn't that, don't, do you like nicknames? Especially if they're nice, you know. Some nicknames make you smile. Some of you, don't call me that, you know. The name that the Lord's gonna give you as you faithfully overcome day in and day out. It's a good nickname. It's a good name. It's his name, and he's going to speak that over your life, and it's going to, 
is to be wrapped up in your identity to him and with him. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just, I thank you for this ancient letter and how we can maybe tap in and ride along with it at some level. Lord, I thank you that there was a church in Philadelphia that though they were strong, they seemed to be, that though they were weak, they, they seemed to have found their strength in you, Lord. Lord, what a great model that is for us. Some of us, Lord, today, we may be very strong in our, in our gifts, in our talents, in our resources, but Lord, today we just laid those all at your feet and we humbly walk into a, a sense of, of, of weakness and reliability because we know tomorrow it could all be gone. It may not be, but Lord, we recognize that this is all passing. This is all temporal, but there is an eternity that awaits us as, 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 as humans, as followers of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to uh, store up for the eternal, Lord, uh, what really matters. And so, Lord, would you show us as a people how to uh, journey down that road of humility and down that, that, that road of reliability, on that road of full, full accountability to you, Lord Jesus. In our weakness, Lord, we find great strength. In you, in our weakness, you are made strong, Lord. So I just pray, God, that, that you would take that and, and sow these truths of your word today deep into our hearts, Lord. Lord, forgive us if we've been going our own way and there's some ego and some pride. Lord, I just pray in this moment right now, uh, you would deal with the pride of our hearts, where we may have been trying to make a name for ourselves and trying to become the business person here or the lead on the team or the, it doesn't, it, there's nothing wrong with doing our best, but God, when our identity is wrapped up in who we can become, Lord, would you take that measure of pride and just, we, we give it to you, Lord, and would you take us to a, a beautiful place of humility where you soften our hearts and you restore our reliability on you. You restore us to that place of full dependence on you, Lord Jesus. That's, that, that's our prayer today, Lord God. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus. You are the word. Thank you for the promises, Lord. Thank you for the new name, the nickname, the name you're speaking over all of us today as we surrender our lives to you and as we journey with you, Lord. It's not a one-time experience. It's a daily get up, go to bed, get up, go to bed with our eyes stayed on you, with you flooding our thoughts throughout the day, just offering up prayers, silent prayers sometimes, sometimes <laughs> heartfelt cries, Lord. But we are in a, a, we're in a relationship with you and it's connected to this mysterious thing called church or congregation and we love it and you're in charge of it and we, uh, we submit to you. Lord Jesus, we submit to you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.